Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion podcast and video. I am Jenny Graham, Editorial's Editor of the Tulsa World. Bobby Set, Editorial Writer and Columnist. And we're going to start with guns again. This is sadly the third week we're bringing it up. And yeah. on one end, people think, well, there's too much. There are other issues. But this is still, you know, after a mass shooting, we can't just go on after a week. So, you know, we're getting a lot of feedback. But I'll tell you what's interesting is the uh, we're asking elected officials, you know, what do you think? What do you think? And it is amazing the dance they do. It's like their feet are on fire not to answer any questions about how they feel about guns. Right. At, at most, we hear, I support Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. I do, too. I also support Second Amendment. But uh, this isn't working. So it has been, uh, and it's, it's strictly the, the fear of political fallout, the fear of being, you know, harassed by, you know, basically I, th- I call them extremists, you know, absolutists, extremists, absolutists, um, people who don't want to have like an actual conversation about how right. we can make our streets safer. So, um, and we have an op-ed this weekend that's interesting. It was uh, Representative Monroe Nichols. And the, the House Democrat Democratic Caucus, I think it is, they've come up with, you know, a list of things that they're going to seek legislatively. Now, admittedly, it is a long shot because they're Democrats and there's only mm-hmm. what, 2% of, I mean, there's so few of them in our legislature that they know, they know it's a long shot, but they're throwing it out there as a starting point. And some of, and he writes about them. And the things he's writing about that they would like are things that are reasonable that, you know, if we can get some more people from the other side, the R side of things, talk about it, it's raising the age to 21. It's creating some sort of waiting period. We even have a law in the books that we ban red flag laws. So yeah, we, we, can't even, yeah, it's, we can't even address mental health related to firearms because we banned it. So... They've got things like that that they're talking about. And and you also have a column that talks a little bit about guns and, and give the people a sneak peek. So usually when we have these these discussions, these big, big discussions about you know guns and gun control and the Second Amendment, it's normally within the the construct of a mass shooting. Um, gun violence is not just limited to that most of the people who die from a gunshot wound are not killed in mass shootings they're killed uh, either in like individual homicides or uh, most commonly by suicide so i was doing some thinking on this and i came to the realization is that i've known it seems like a, a strangely large number of people over the years who have died at the wrong end of a gun. Um, three times as many people as I know who have died in a car accident. And I think that's probably kind of rare. I'm probably an outlier, but so I took a look at that and what it means and what the how that fits within the dialogue that we're having right now about guns and mental health and just overall safety and, and things like that. And it dovetails a little bit into what you were talking about in a column that you wrote two weeks ago in terms of the political middle needing to actually wrangle control of this thing and get us somewhere. 
Um, don't you we, think that what, but what you're talking about, you know people who have died by yes. suicide using a gun or by accident using a gun or just yes. in crime. Do you think that, I mean, I think that that makes a difference that we were just as, you know, human nature, once we get affected by it, then that somehow motivates us to do something. And I think it's sad that it get, has to get to that point that, yeah. you know, for people who've never been affected by it, that, and I, and I think that that for the longest time was how the gun discussion was sort of set up in this country is that you have people who view guns as tools for hunting and this is part of life and the culture they're handed down there's nothing wrong with them then you have people who live in areas where guns you know they're used for murder they're held by gang members they're held by you know whoever and so i think it's just this this different view of that and how you're affected by it that i think we have to sort of break out of that to create some sort of empathy for the other we also have to take a different view of what a gun is um not wanting to give up too much give away too much it's right. in the column but i think you've got two very polar opposite views of what firearms are I mean, one side sees them as very scary and bad and we should have no guns around and things like that and you've got another side that um i keep using the excalibur uh vision here but it's something akin to that. And there's really, there's no way to find a solution with these two polar opposite sides because one side sees them as the debt product of the devil and the other one sees them as, you know, a gift from God or something like that with all of the blessings therein. And it's like, no, guys, a gun is, a gun is a tool, it is a thing, it has a fairly singular purpose, and we need to treat it with the respect that we need to respect what it can do. And I think that would inform a lot of people into the whole idea of do you need this thing? Should you have this thing? And then what type of weapons should be out there that really should be in the hands of let's just put it consumers mm -hmm. because that's what the the gun industry has become is a very wide and profitable consumer market but we're not talking about toasters here you know we're not talking about a car or a coffee pot you're talking about a firearm whatever it is that can leave someone on the wrong end of it just as dead as anything else and we're just not having we're not having the right discussions that respect the firearm and that's something i've been talking about for a long time it's something that's been concerning to me for a long time where it, where you know, it elevates a gun into something personal that it's uh, well that's how it's marketed i mean when you look at how yeah. certain guns have been marketed to the consumers it is about remember the, the ar-15 you know get your man card yeah. it's all about appealing to some sort of um characteristic that if you have this thing it will make you whole it will make you something and It'll make you strong instead of saying hey this is really just a tool that kills people and kills things i mean animals i mean for whatever reason so uh looking at it like that as as something serious as i think we're talking about is getting past viewing a gun as something other than what it actually is which is yeah so and I, I would and I would like to see that more. You know, in the NRA's early days, they were big on 
gun safety, hunter safety, hunter right. education. And we need like more that. of that, a lot more of that. That is not what they are now. Mm -hmm. They probably, they still do those things, but that is definitely an industry lobby group that is pushing for the sale of more and more guns. And it takes just a very uh, mercantilist view of what they're trying to do is, you know, you're trying to grow sales. And if they grew by 5% this year, you want them to go up 8% the next year and on and on and on. And the only way that you can do that is market these things the way they are and uh, politic in a way that would that would resist any kind of restriction or slowdown of those sales. But it's not just the NRA. I mean, to, to be clear, no. there are a lot. No, it's not. A lot of groups now. The NRA has hit some some hard times. They don't have as much as much money as they used to. They still do. But we have the Second Amendment Association that is run by basically one guy that I can see, but very powerful. You have other yeah, he's got pull. There. That what? He's got pull. Yeah, I mean, there's so there are a lot of other groups out there, not just the NRA that we're talking about, and um, and I, you know, we just need to become aware of who they are, who they're giving to, who's profiting off this, because there there's always there's always a profit at the end of it, and I think we have to kind of mm -hmm. get to some of that, and that has to emerge too, and you you know it, it kind of gets into where my headspace at the end of last week, like most people in Tulsa, it was very raw. We were all tired. We were all sort of struck. And I wrote my column based on, I mentioned this last week, I had gone to the, um, the Jewish Federation of Tulsa held a, a, an event. It was meant to be a celebratory event for the passage of Holocaust education in Oklahoma, that it's now part of the curriculum. And I, I wrote in the column that I did not want to go. It was Thursday. Day after the mass shooting, mm -hmm. you know, you just, I just didn't feel like going to a banquet, but I thought, you know, these are people I really like. They're really good people who did some hard work. And I just thought it'll help. And I was so glad I did because when we got there, you know, that, that shooting sort of hung over the mood. And so it was just, I don't know if it's ironic or just maybe an interesting that, you know, these are people that work around the issue of the Holocaust, of this trauma, this, you know, massive thing. And their whole goal is to use that to inspire critical thinking skills in young people, to take the lessons of this tragedy to inspire a better tomorrow. That we can use these ideas to come up with solutions for divisive topics today. And, you know, it's kind of strange to be at that event at that time. And, you know, to, and there were, and I wrote about what some of the people said. Now they sort of brought it all home. But I just thought, you know, such an emotional day. And I'm around people whose lives revolve around this very emotional topic. And I just thought, you know, these yeah. are the experts on mass trauma. These are the experts. And I just walked away feeling a little more inspired. I'll tell you what I really walked away from is that we can't be silent. I mean, if there's anything from the Holocaust that we learned is, you know, if you're just a quiet bystander who believes strongly, but you're keeping it to yourself because fill in the blank, then you're, you're not helping that problem. You're going to contribute. Things are going to get worse. If you don't stand up to the bully on the block, then that bully is just going to end up turning on you at yeah. some point. So, yeah. You know, it's it, you know, and I'm you're seeing this with politics that within the Republican Party, we started seeing this with the school board elections, where some of the conservative extremists started really turning on people within their own Republican Party 
And people were surprised. And I'm like, well, you didn't mind it when they were turning that vitriol on your opponent, but now that it's on you, now you're concerned. I'm like, I think we have to really with our candidates, no matter what party it is, say, hey, we've got to, we're not going to put up with certain types of behavior anymore. And we're going to have to speak up. So I was, in the end, I was glad I went to this. And I'm really thankful that we have people who are at like the Jewish Federation of Tulsa who push these these issues. So yeah. Um, you know, and the Holocaust education itself being part of the curriculum is a good idea. Uh, you know, this weekend we also have along along these lines, Dr. Bob Block is a member of our uh, committee advisory board. He is the expert in child abuse and neglect. He created the specialty. If you were to look at the specialty of child abuse and neglect, he's number one. He's, he has a license at number one. And he talks about how to talk to kids during you know, to make sense of bad news, that kind of thing. And he's beyond resiliency. Mm -hmm. And so he, he offers some, some information that's really good. He also is, is talking about brain health. He's the one that, instead of saying mental health, because he feels like there's a stigma, that this is really about the brain and we should talk about brain health. So, so yeah. I for that. The other bit we have this weekend is from Karen Keeley of CAP Tulsa. And this is completely different but she talks about a recent survey of Head Start providers that basically low pay and the environment is the environment of benefits and things like that are driving childcare providers out of business. So, you know, getting back to the idea of workforce development and family, we need to pay attention to how we're treating young young children and those who work with young children. And so, this is a place to start. But um, so editorially, Bob. Any mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of what caught our attention this week. One of the things I think you you and I talked a little bit about was uh, the hearings tonight, January 6th. Yeah. Hearings start tonight. And give me your thoughts on this. I think just as anybody who is a an interested and engaged citizen, you owe it to yourselves to watch. And if you're not going to watch, then make sure you're reading uh, the, the stories that come out about it and then see what they reveal. It's, they've spent several months um, subpoenaing records, subpoenaing people for testimony, gathering information. Um, I'm not going to say it's like a dragnet kind of thing, but you know, they are, they've been looking at trying to get to, you know, who knew what, who did what and how and what, if any laws were broken in terms of planning and carrying out an attack on the nation's capital during a time when we're supposed to be going through a the, one of the steps of the peaceful transfer of power. That's a hallmark. Here, here's something I want to say here with that. A peaceful transfer of power is a hallmark of American democracy. That is, if you're going to put the word sacred on something in a you know, metaphorical way, that's one of them. We don't have coups. We don't have tanks rolling through the street and making people flee and a strong man coming in and taking control and pretending this is how it normally is. That's not us. That's never been us. You know, outside of the Civil War, uh, we've had you know, president after president after president and new Congress is sworn in and everything else like that. 
you know, for coming up on two and a half centuries. And that was very much at risk on January 6th, 2021. That's serious. And yes, and I'm bothered by the idea of people not watching. And I know this sounds, I don't know. I mean, Fox News is not going to cover it. Right. They've said that. So for people, they're not going to carry it live people, anyway. Or carry it live. And we're not right. sure how they're, whether they're going to cover it or not. But there's a healthy number of people who only get their news from one source. A lot of that, a lot of times that's Fox News. Sometimes it's even AON or, or some other places. But to not even get the information means you're just not interested in really being an informed person. Yeah. Because, you know, you're already seeing sort of the opposition saying, oh, well, this is partisan or this is fine. But you've got to at least listen to the information, then decide. You know, yeah. you know, I think of when a, what Watergate happened 50 years ago mm -hmm. this year, and then the hearings were 49 years ago, and people were like riveted by it. I don't, you know, that was a very narrow issue. I think this is a much broader issue. I mean, that dealt with a break. I mean, think about it. We had a president that this was about a break-in to steal, you know, the opponent's information and then the cover-up. This mm -hmm. is about an overthrow of government. So yeah. much more serious. And I think bigger, and I, I, I am a little concerned that maybe the hearing, depending on how it's structured, whether it's too much to ingest, that the average American might be overwhelmed by it, but I think we need to hear it. And I hope that people can listen to it with an open mind and really just come to some decisions on what really happened what ne and what do we need to do to ensure it doesn't happen again. So Keeping in mind, too, that people died that day. Yes. How many? Five? Five deaths. Uh, I imagine it probably could have been a lot worse, but that was a, even though the, the death toll was not something that's like Oklahoma City bombing or 9-11 type of stuff, people did die. It was a very violent thing. You know, people were turning flagpoles into spears and lances and, you know, brought things to beat people with. And, you know, as people fear, fear for their lives, um, people were hiding you know, trying to make sure that they didn't get caught by an angry mob and get, you know, attacked or whatever. You know, we had a, one of our congressmen pleading with the people outside of the chambers to, hey, you know, don't do this. This is not how we do stuff. So, and it speaks to the overall issue of media literacy and information that you take in, what you choose to believe, and then acting on that. And we had a big chunk of people who were believing in something that just wasn't true to the point they believed it so solidly, they were willing to carry out injurious or perhaps lethal violence mm -hmm. to change the outcome of something that they didn't like. That is not how we are do things in the United States of America. And that's what this is about. It's important. This is yeah, about the I soul of us. Yeah, I mean, in, in this little little bit that we've heard from Liz Cheney, and I know she's a polarizing figure, but I mean, she said that she's not heard anything. She was active on the committee um, that has made her be reassured. And so I'm anxious to hear, what did she hear? What is, you know, what has she, What and that's what, what this is about. We're getting to find out what they found out. 
and yeah. what's being kept from them because we still have people who are fighting this and how coordinated was the attack that's the other part i mean you get people there with walkie talkies and communication devices so um so that's going on tonight and, and we we're encouraging people to to react to that and watch it and react to that but then we also the other editorial we have this week is is mcgirt again mm -hmm. the ongoing mm -hmm. uh, post mcgirt stories and for people who don't know mcgirt was a U.S. Supreme Court decision two years ago that reaffirmed sovereignty of six tribal nations within Oklahoma. And it basically, it, it only applies to major crimes. And in reading, I went back and read the opinion this week, and it's very clear it's about major crimes. Mm -hmm. So, and it was interesting in there, again, Gore, Justice Gorsuch wrote the, for the majority, and he said this was going to create a problem in the immediacy because we're moving the prosecution of crimes away from state courts and either into federal courts or tribal courts. And it was very specific that this will be, you know, problematic at first, but in the end it will work out. So the state has been wanting to overturn it and overturn it. I just, I, and I think the board, it's not going to happen. Uh, the Supreme Court largely made up of the same people and they just don't overturn their own decisions within two years. They get overturned mm -hmm. 50, 100 years later, not, not in two or three or four. So Curtis Kelman, one of the best reporters we have, his data work, he started tracking down, trying to track down the, the fact and fiction of what we're hearing. And he did find that, in fact, yes, we have thousands of cases that are going unprosecuted because the federal courts are just overwhelmed. You know, when you think about it, our state courts have developed over the course of a hundred years because they, you know, our elected officials voted on by us have helped shape that. So the idea that the federal and tribal courts can mirror that within 18 months, it's not going to happen. And so there are some, there are some big problems with, we need more federal prosecutors and judges. So we need to have all our elected leaders contacting any congressional and federal person with pull to get more money to do just that, to ramp it up to where they're able to try as, you know, file as many cases as they can in the Eastern and Northern District. And also, you know, the tribal courts, you know, they are taking on things they never had to take on. And so, you know, I think, you know, our, our editorial basically says, again, that we have to deal with the now. There are a lot of concerns of what if, but based on Curtis's findings, some of what is being you know, said is happening, is happening. Some is a little not, you know, we don't have evidence yeah. for certain allegations being uh, said, but at this point, we just need to figure out ways to bolster these systems. So where can we have resources, whether it's sharing open records, online searches, whether it's, you know, cross deputizations, we need to find these agreements because if we're just relying on the court to overturn itself, and it's just a gamble. I mean, we, you know, there's, we can't act on that, but we, what can we do as state, local governments do to help? So, yeah, and it was, gonna be... in, you know, Curtis, it was a two day, two day stories. I mean, was there anything in Curtis's stories that stood out to you as far as repositioning how you look at McGirt or how? It confirmed, uh, it confirmed what I thought was going to happen after McGirt was, my thinking was okay you're going to be pulling out a large number of cases 
from the state district courts. They got to go somewhere. They got to go to the tribal courts or the federal courts. None of those places had anticipated this. None of them were ready for it. And ramping up to get ready for it means you're in a transition period where things are going to be rocky. Well, guess what? It's been rocky. We know that. So the realist in me says, well, let's take that back for one second. The idealist of the people who wish things could go back to what they were pre-McGirt says, we're going to dig in the heels, resist, and try to find our way to overturn this so we can just go back to the way it was. The realist in me says, you better plan for a contingency because the longer you draw this out, the more of the problems that you're harping at and talking about are going to continue. And they're going to worsen. That's possible. That's very possible that they could worsen. So you might be thinking that, oh, we're just trying to win this and we think we can win this and blah, blah, blah. But there's a good chance you won't. Let's just be realistic. Just like you said, the court's probably not going to reverse itself after just a two-year thing. And they've got good reasons not to reverse themselves because where you might have been acting hunky-dory thinking things were one way, the reality is, by the law, those reservations were not disestablished. That does mean something. So unless that congressional action happens, and it won't, there's nobody in Congress has a stomach for that, and you got to get ready to do the things to make things work now. It's just like you said, it's either you're going, you got basically two paths, right? Mm-hmm. You beef up tribal courts and federal courts to handle this caseload, or, and this is not novel thinking here, you cross deputize and you get everybody working together again. That could actually get you closer to an operating procedure that is very similar to pre-McGirt while also giving the tribes what they have a right to. Recognizing their sovereignty because the exactly the federal courts have consistently said they're sovereign. I mean, that's, I mean, it's in the constitution even. They're sovereign nations. So, you know, we have to approach it like that. The state has yep. to approach it like that. And we're just, again, encouraging, um, you know, we're trying to put, Curtis put, is putting out, you know, fact and fiction. And yes, they're absolute trouble. So in light of that, my question then is, okay, what are you going to do about it? And the yep. answer just seems to be, we're just going to fight it in court. I'm like, well, then the public has no real say in that. Yeah. Because the judges are going to act as the judges act. Now, if there were things like compacting, cross-deputization agreements on the table, things that we can actually help shape and mold and 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 are, you know, have a say in, well, that's one thing. So um, you know, or again, we're editorially just saying we're recognizing, yeah, there are problems, just like we expected, just like the justices expected. So now we just need to start finding the solutions. And I think that's going to have to come from, you know, people just (laughs) sitting down at the table and coming up with something. So exactly right. um, You know, uh, along with, and we'll, we'll kind of end it on this, I guess, but along with watching this January 6th hearings, I want to say anyone who's not watching OU softball right now, you are missing out. Have you been watching the OU softball team? I didn't think any team. been out running or something, haven't you? Well, here's what I want to say with this. I didn't think 
it was possible to see a more dominant performance <laughs> in softball than what we watched last year when they oh, scored to the title. This was and, incredible. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm not like a huge, you know, softball watching person or sports watching person in general. Every time I turn on a game with the OU women, I cannot walk, look away. It is incredible. So I watched last night's game. What was it, like four home runs? I mean, my sister went to one game and she goes, I saw two grand slams. Who sees two grand slams in a single game or anything? It's not it's not normal. Not it's not no, normal for collegiate softball. These games are usually like two to one or one nothing. Oh. And they were bombing these folks, just bombing them out of the stadium within the first inning. That's what I'm saying. So Last funny. year they were dominant. I didn't think you could see anything quite like that. And then this season it's like, oh no, no, we've we've got more. It's just getting worse for the other teams. And you know, Oklahoma is Hats off I to Patty Gasso. Jersey. I can't find one. I mean, where do I to, want to buy some merch? And if she doesn't get a Patty have, Gasso uh, visor. Oh, oh, and is she just like the coolest cucumber ever? I mean, they're out there kicking ass and doing all this stuff, and she's just like, like everything's nothing. It's she, like, well, you know, she's been there. Oh, I know, but I mean, I'm like, like cause, you know, but so, coaches sometimes will get either show some emotion whether mad or happy no she is just like solid just cool yeah. just cool just like I, I would never play poker with that woman she well, just, just like, she's kind of like me. she's the Nick Saban of NCAA softball <laughs> seriously who else has done what Patty Gasso has been doing it is you know it is um I mean ESPN put them on the cover saying they're the most dominant team in America any team because they're just that good. And, you know, I just think of all the, uh, the was it, NIL, the licensing stuff. I'm like, if these girls don't have as much licensing stuff as the OU football team, then there's there's a huge problem here because these yeah, women go are on, so ladies. fun to watch. Go get your money. Go get paid. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like time. football, softball. And it's, it's in Oklahoma, I think there was another team. I have to look it up. I'm sorry, but who won – a different division. I mean, we have a, this seems to be the sport of Oklahoma right now. And it's just, it's amazing. So they've got two more games playing Texas, which is, and you know, I will say, Oklahoma maybe State, two more games, maybe huh? two more games. If they win maybe. the next one, they're, they, oh, that's they're true. champs. It's best of three. So it could be one yeah. more. Um, Jocelyn Allo did say you only get to beat OU once. <laughs> She's right. <laughs> so, but you know, it's, I will throw out also Oklahoma State did an they're an amazing team and it's it's almost like if OU wasn't just freakishly good I mean Oklahoma State would be right up there so it's we'd just, be talking about it yeah exactly and and how interesting is it that it's Oklahoma State OU and Texas all right there and and it's just so much fun but uh, we need more merch I want a jersey can't find a jersey we need more merchandise OU come on. Missing out. It's an opportunity. Exactly. So I can find football stuff everywhere, but where's the you women? Come on. So anyway, that's what I'm doing this weekend or tonight or whenever the next game is. I'll find out. We got a lot of stuff yeah. happening. So a lot of stuff. That's right. So anything you're doing? Any final notes from you? Oh gosh, man. Just uh getting ready for the heat. Trying to keep the drinks cold and uh just uh mellowing out and having a good time and then waiting for the next 
big thing to happen, I suppose. Whatever okay, that well, is. Okay, I'm coming over to your house. If there's cold drinks in your backyard on a hot day, that's where I'm at. Yeah, you better watch out right now. The place is a little, it's in transition. I'll just say that. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, until next week, everyone, we'll check you then. See Bye. You, uh,